Being trained in an effective crisis management system is imperative for minimizing behavioral issues and the need for restraint in schools and treatment facilities. But not all crisis management systems were created equal. If we are going to meet the growing intense behavioral needs of individuals while simultaneously reducing the need for restraints, every leader and policymaker who is involved in areas related to behavioral challenges should understand what a complete crisis management system is comprised of and how to embed one into any setting. For more information, check out crisisintervention.com. Welcome to the Crisis in Education podcast, where educational leaders and experts across the world dissect the root causes of issues and explore potential opportunities for sustainable improvement across schools and districts. And now your co-hosts, Dr. Polly and Drew. Okay, welcome to Crisis in Education podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Polly, and uh, I am uh, here today with with somebody I'm very interested in uh, hearing about what he has to, has to say. It's it's new for me. Uh, it's going to be new to uh, my listeners, you guys. Uh, but his name is David Hurwit. Am I saying that right, David Hurwit? Hurwit. Hurwit. Well, I, apparently I was saying it really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and it, what interests me about uh, David is that um, he's actually come up with an approach that levels the playing field for low-income, underrepresented minorities, and first-generation students for uh, getting into universities. Am I saying that right, uh, yeah, David? Absolutely. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so I am extremely passionate about education and uh, not just going to school, right? We want, we want people to go to school and improve their quality of living in the future. And so many people go to school just to go to school and they end up dropping out for various reasons. Maybe they made the wrong choice or there's not the right fit. So it seems like, David, I think what you're going to uh, you know talk about is going to perhaps provide some solutions in that area. But before we go down that path, I'd love to hear just a little bit about your background, uh, how you got into doing what you're doing, uh, just so our listeners get to learn a little bit about you, and then uh, you know let's let's dive into all this. Absolutely, Polly. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Sure. Uh, you know, I've I've been developing new products and services for 30 years uh, in a range of different industries, everything from toothpicks to wind turbines. Um, so you know, you sort of you name it, I've done it, right? That's a uh, yeah. And and so I come at this with the lens of a guy who sees problems and comes up with ideas for how to fix them. Uh, and and I've been looking at this problem for a while. I worked in college admissions when I was a student, um, you know, when I was in college, when I was in grad school, I was on the admissions committee. Um, and then I went away from it for 20 years, uh, started a family, had kids, uh, worked on my career. And then I came back to it with my oldest daughter and we you know, she was a lucky kid. She w- she went to a public high school, had a decent uh, guidance counselor. We hired a private co- college counselor for her. We created a list. Both her parents went to college. So all of those are advantages, um, you know, in our system today that she had. And we drove off to to do some college visiting, which, again, is a privilege. Um, and we got to the first school and she's like, Dad, don't even get out of the car. Right. Th- this is not going to work. This is not for me. And I said, well, we're getting out of the car. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, we've driven a long way to get here. But let's let's go to have the tour. Let's talk about it. Right. Let's 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 do this together. So we had the tour. We get back in the car and I said, all right, look, we're here for the night before we go to the next school tomorrow. You get the Spotify. 
I'm going to jump on open table and find us a good a good place to go have dinner and then just sort of process what we just saw. And it occurred to me that Spotify nailed the music choice, right, to get us to the restaurant, which was a perfect choice restaurant. And the technology we were using to select our music and select our dinner was dramatically more sophisticated than what we were using to invest to 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 pay for what's a hundreds of thousands of dollar kind of education and 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 such a more important decision to make. And so that really got my wheels turning. And that's where that's sort of the genesis of of what Truve has become. Well, you you know, you remind me of a a, a number of entrepreneurs that I know, man. You guys just see stuff and you see all the puzzle pieces and how they can fit together wherever you go. Uh, But in this case, um, these puzzle pieces seem extremely important. I'm not saying, you know, minimizing, obviously, the toothpicks and uh, Uh, wind turbines. That's making a difference. You know, this leads to my passion. Yeah. And I, you know, I tell you, I, I looked at this for a couple of years, right? She's, she's now 28. Okay. Truve is three. So you can do the math. I, I, it took me a while to sort of get into this, but what really, I started thinking that the problem was, was college admissions, right? The problem is getting into college. I mean, that's what society tells us. You turn on the TV, you think, oh my gosh, it's impossible to get into Harvard and Stanford and MIT. Who cares? I mean, that is a tiny fraction of the market. It wasn't until I really started dig into the reality of this industry, which is one where the average acceptance rate in American colleges and universities, and there are over 4,000 of those, is about 70%. So the problem is not getting into college. Of course, it's tough to get into those hyper-selective schools, but that's not where the market is. The market is you can get into college. The problem is getting out. And so I tell people all the time, like, you know, you talk to venture capitalists, I'm like, what's the problem you're solving? The problem we're solving is I want to get people out of college. Um, and they, it's sort of it's a little facetious, but they they get the point, which is the goal is not to get in. The goal is to get the education and get out with that degree and get on with a life that you find productive and meaningful and passionate for you. And as you dig into those statistics, you realize that the, the acceptance rate is 70 percent, but the four year graduation rate is about 45 percent. So it's almost literally twice as hard to get out as it is to get in. And if you play that out and you look at the statistics, it's essentially a flip of the coin that because after six years, the average student, the percentage of students who graduate from that school where they started six years earlier is only 51 percent. So it is literally in the current system we have today, a flip of the coin as to whether you're going to succeed or fail. Hmm. So uh, and wow, that is those are some big numbers there, man. Uh, yeah, and what and, and and what are the ramifications of that? Um, I could speculate, but you know you've dug into this, yeah. so you, they go to school and they fail. You know outcomes. How, yeah. what, what's, what's I mean, the problem you, you, you've got you, just rough numbers. You've got about forty-five million Americans who have dropped out of college with some amount of credit and some amount of debt, and the total cumulative debt of you know, college debt in this country is like $1.6 trillion. So there are 45 million American adults walking around paying tuition bills for a benefit they never really received. And if you look even sort of more broadly and say, well, what do you get if you complete that degree? Again, operating at the average, the average lifespan of someone with a college degree when compared to someone who hasn't completed high school is like 15 years longer. 
So you literally have a longer life. And and of course, there are statistics about how much money you can make with that degree. But mm-hmm. that's secondary to having a long life. And and if you look at the incidence of almost every major disease, they are dramatically lower for college graduates. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I really view this as an enabler for a better life. And that's what moved me from, you know, I'm intellectually inter- interested in this issue to I want to put myself and my time into fixing this problem because that problem is not evenly distributed in our society. You know, those kids with all those advantages, uh, they get uh, significant help to get in and through and out of college as compared Mm -hmm. to those kids without those means and that support around them. They really do, man. I work in a lot of these high poverty schools where I have, um, and it's very, very sad uh, for me, they don't have a chance, most of them, because, yeah. you know, you can tell what kind of education they're going to get based on their zip code. Um, you know, so they're, they're born into poverty. They didn't choose to be born into poverty and their parents were probably born into poverty and their parents. So there becomes this impoverished mindset because you haven't experienced any of the world. You haven't yeah. been given a good education. And so they're way behind the eight ball. And then they're not even, you know, having the opportunity to be accepted into a university. So, yeah, uh, yeah. and then if they are accepted, they're not equipped with the knowledge and skills. And I know that's one of the issues with, um, you know, decreasing the requirements for acceptance rate, right? To let more people in. But to your point, it's not about getting in, it's about getting out. So they're coming yeah, in there and like, absolutely. are they prepared to do that? If they're not prepared to do it, what do we do? How can we support them? You know, how can we make it so they can be successful? Yeah, and th- there are a lot of things that are going to happen in the lives of you know 18 to 22, 23-year-olds that are tough, right? And and honestly, they're probably much tougher for those kids without the means and the, and the parental support and the parental experience and that mindset that it's all going to be okay, mm-hmm. right? Um, a lot of those kids you're talking about don't come into this with that same um, mindset and the same kind of guardrails around them that say – Look, we're going to get through this, right? We're here to support you. We're going to pay your rent. We're going to pay tuition. We're going to, you know, bring you home for a semester. We're going to get you the help you need. We're going to, you know, pay for your books. We're going to make it so you don't have to take two jobs to be able to afford tuition. I mean, there are all kinds of advantages that that money brings to this system, and that you know, the, and the and the mindset around I'm going to make it is is just one, but it's such a fundamental one. Well, I have I actually while we were talking, I pulled up just the. U.S. Census of uh, meeting earn, uh, median earnings uh, for educators. This is actually this is old. This is ten years old here, over ten years old. But ten years ago, uh, the you know the, the average high school diploma uh, was getting you uh, maybe around thirty five grand, thirty six, thirty seven grand a year, and uh, your masters are about seventy five to eighty grand. So that's that's yeah. pretty significant. Yeah, it it absolutely is. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons why people don't succeed and get all the way to their degree. Um, And there's no one solution, including Truve, that is going to address all those problems. All right. Mm -hmm. Life's going to happen. But our core hypothesis is that if we can put you in the place where you feel uh, what the the industrial psychologists refer to as psychological safety. Right. If you Mm -hmm. if you get to that place where you feel like you can be your best self and you have people around you that support that and, and encourage that both in and out of the classroom, that that set of conditions is your highest probability of success. 
And so what we've tried to do is build a software solution to help you find that because the way that a lot of wealthy kids get to that today is they they have private college counselors, they fly around the country to all these different schools, they've got people helping them with take their SAT tests and write their application essays, um, and they can actually go and experience what what less affluent kids can't do. And it's what I you know I started out by describing that experience of doing that with my daughter. We were able to drive onto that campus, and I've been on a lot of campus tours, and I can tell you that there's typically this binary reaction the kids have, right? They're like, oh, no, 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 never going to happen, or oh, oh my God, Dad, oh, like goosebumpy kind of like this is it. These are my people because that's what those those kids are doing is they have this radar that's picking up these signals that says this is my place. These are my people. And so what ultimately what I'm trying to create is a software solution to help you find your people. And it's not about personality type and, and putting the, the introverts here and the extroverts there. It's, it's the opposite of that. It's saying what are the set of, of academic conditions and social conditions where you can be your best self and that we can put incredibly diverse people together and have them be passionate in the same ways that drive an incredibly vibrant academic community. Let's take a quick break. If you work across schools or treatment facilities and you want an environment characterized by students or clients behaving well and meeting their goals, you need Everyday Behavior Tools. These tools are so powerful and generalizable that you can train anybody anywhere in them. And here is the best part. The entire instructor training is online. If you are interested in becoming an everyday behavior tools trainer to improve behavior in your organization while also generating more income for yourself, go to crisisintervention.com. Okay. All right. So, um, so I'm assuming you've come up. Uh, uh, well, tell me how you got that data. Like, how did you, how did you establish that criteria? At, from the university so that there's a match. So I'm assuming that there's got to be some sort of self-assessment that a student takes so that there way that's so that there's a way to match. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So 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 everything we've been talking about so far is pretty doom and gloom, right? It's like, oh, Jesus, what? <laughs> this sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the good news. The good news is that the largest part of every school in the country are the graduates. They are the literal model of success for that school. And so what we do is we've created a quick 10-minute tool, an assessment tool that's a quiz that we administer to recent graduates and current students. And we need only a few hundred of them, honestly, to get a statistically valid sample of that community. And we say, look, you're the people that know what it takes to be successful. Uh, What is the culture of your school in the classroom and then socially? And then we make that we turn that into kind of a digital filter that we can have prospective students take the same quiz and say, these are the set of conditions I'm looking for where I can feel that psychological safety in the classroom and out of the classroom. And then we're just mad. We're pattern matching and saying, these are the subset of schools where someone with your preferences for learning and social culture are most likely to be successful, to feel comfortable and feel at home, feel like these are my people. And and so we had to build a way to bring that community together And that platform for us is this two-sided network where a student today can go on to Truve.me, take the assessment in 10 minutes, and then we populate 
all 4,000 plus schools in the country with as much data as we have um, available, sort of public access data. Um, and so the student experience is you get matched with any school out there. Um, and then we go school by school and say, would you like to become a part of the platform? Can you give us access to your recent graduates and current students? Um, and that allows us to get that even more predictive responses uh, from those communities, which gives us an even more enhanced sense of prediction. So it's it's kind of a phased approach. And, and like any network like this, as we grow and as we gather data, it just gets richer and deeper and more predictive and more valuable. But the business model from day one has been free to the students and their families and paid for by these schools who are collectively out there already spending billions to try to find these kids so that we can kind of level that playing field a little bit between the haves and have nots. Mm, that's interesting. It's free to the students. Now, I know how long have you guys been around? Have you, have you had, do you have enough data uh, so you can, you know, determine if like the, the psychometric properties are valid and reliable um, and, yeah. and also are you, are you to the point yet where you're getting many like long-term outcomes, you know, like you've, you, they've gone through Truve and now this yep. population, the graduation rates are up and, uh, maybe, you know, any, but we'll, we'll just start there. Yeah. So great questions. We, we just, we mm. started in, in, uh, actually the, the start date, the first, the, my very first day where I was working full time on this was February 10th of 2020. On February 11th of 2020, they named this thing COVID-19. Um, so my timing was a little uh, circumspect there, but it turns out to have been a really good timing because these schools really came to recognize quickly, we got to try something different. So we essentially built the platform. We beta tested it um, with a couple of schools in upstate New York. Yeah. So so we started building, you know, we, we built the product in, in 2020, 2021. We beta tested it in 2022 with a number of schools uh, and and really have started launching our sales uh, this year. Part of the beta test was uh, to look at some of those long term or start to plan for the data accumulation for those long term assessments like you talked about. So ultimately, what our ambition is, is to be able to help schools to see their people in the prospect pool. There are 5 million kids every year between U.S. and international students, U.S. seniors and international students of the same age that are looking at enrolling in college for the first time, not to mention the millions of adults who may also look at at enrolling or re-enrolling in college. So schools have this sort of crazy system where they buy 100,000 names and then they spam the hell out of them um, until they get enough uh, applications to create enough acceptances to create enough, you know, basically butts and seats is the metric that most admissions officers will talk about. Mm. Um, and that makes no sense to me. So what we're trying to do is to gather data systematically with these school partners that said your students who came to you through Truth and applied, admitted, enrolled at rate X versus the rest of your pool. And then they you retain them. Those freshmen became sophomores. The sophomores eventually graduate. And ultimately, this is about uh, those graduates staying engaged with your school. Most schools have about a one in 10 engagement rate with their graduate community. And that's just not not great. Right? What, what does that mean? One in 10 engagement rate? Uh, 90 percent like of us who graduate from a school leave and never have anything to do with our schools again. Oh, gotcha. OK. Um, so one in 10 gives money, gives time, um, is a member of the, the Facebook uh, group they they send in a an update to the school mag the online magazine you know the the kind of engagement stuff 
um, that that schools love to see because the business model of these schools is I'm going to sell you a four year degree might take you six years, but I'm going to sell you one degree and then I'm going to chase you for the rest of your life and see if you'll give me money for nothing. Mm-hmm. And kind of our core hypothesis or, and the value proposition to the schools is, look, if we can help you find the people for whom your culture really resonates, you're creating a bond that allows you to deliver a lifetime of learning uh, to those people and for them to deliver that lifetime of loyalty to you as the go to place for their educational needs. As we grow through life and look for graduate degrees and certificate certification programs and retraining for job changes and travel, all these things we can do now through education and the delivery of technology, we've got to find our people in the educational soup out there so that we can have these lifetime journeys together. So we're, we are in the early stages of creating the data set that proves that we're helping you to find your people and that those people are going to stick with you and you can deliver more education for higher value over the course of time. So we're in this for the long run. And I don't I don't want to claim things that we haven't yet proven, but that core hypothesis that there is a kind of a unique educational culture that suits each one of us and there's a unique social culture and that we can see that through the eyes of the people that have experienced it. And then give ourselves the best opportunity to be in that environment that that's going to produce long-term benefits. And that doesn't have to be exclusively for one set of kids or another. It can be equally applied to everybody. Well, that seems exciting. I mean, when you, if you have enough data to determine whether this is truly predictive, what a win-win for universities and you know students alike uh, to be able to match them well. That is uh, a very exciting well, that's you know, I, I that's part of what we the conversation we have with schools is. Look, I'm 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 not here to lie to you. I'm not here to tell you that I've proven things that that I haven't proven. What I want you to do though is take a second and imagine if I'm right, right? Let's envision a world where you could actually find your people more predictively, not just in the 50 miles around your school, but in that ocean of prospects that are available to you. That there are all kinds of people that might really dig your culture and 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 love to come to your campus. And create that kind of relationship. And if we can connect you with all those folks over the course of time, that's going to create this really dynamic campus. It's going to improve diversity. It's going to help elevate all those populations that are marginalized in our system today. Uh, and, and what's the risk of trying, right? I mean, you you know for a fact that you can't sit here and continue to do the same old crap you do from an enrollment marketing standpoint, just hoping to get any warm bodies, Right. We can do better. We have the technology. We have the intelligence. Let's apply it. Let's do that. Well, I, that makes sense to me, obviously, through the university. But I don't really care about the universities. And, you know, I mean, I want to see students being matched well. And so yeah. but that makes it a win win. I have no problem with the universities, you know, uh, getting people who are matched well for their their campus and their instructional approaches, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I really what I, I really care about is. That students, you know, to your point, are are going into the universities and uh, they're staying and they're getting their education. Uh, you know, I would I would love to, you know, if this were to stick around, I'd love to see some long term data, you know, to see like, hey, you, you, how was your education, by the way? You yeah. Know, what are how did they feel like they were able, what they learned was applicable in the real world? Um, because this is one of the issues I have with uh, too many, especially in education, like teacher prep courses or leader prep courses um i've taught them both and uh there's far too much theory 
and uh you know theory it's like me i'm a professional mixed martial arts coach um it's like me giving theory to my fighter expecting that they're going to be able to perform in the fight and they're not going to be that is not the way learning occurs Uh, it's not about grades it's really about performance you know and, and about fluency and key skills and so um i would love to not punish universities who aren't doing well what i would love to do is highlight the ones that are doing well as evidenced by people performing well not just graduate not just graduation rates you know there's long-term data to say that they're able to take what they love what they learn and what they learned was also uh very beneficial in the real world and then look at what they were doing to produce those outcomes right and flesh out those variables so we can say to other schools hey do this stuff as well and i bet you know uh, the approach that you started could you know over time if it's successful, pulling that kind of data, I imagine. Yeah, and that's that's part of the ambition is to make the data available because we're really what we're doing is we're creating a brand new data set that help students and have been meaningful to students as they succeed in attaining a college degree. And that is a kind of a school by school answer. And to the extent that we can collect all that data and then start to analyze it and learn, we definitely want to do. And we want to do this in partnership with schools. This is not about us kind of trying to gather this one little data set and squeeze every ounce of value we can out of it and, and you know, make all the software guys a, a boatload of money. This is about trying to help improve what we know about student success. We want to offer that back into the industry and say, we can collectively get more kids through college. We can get those kids seeing themselves as successful in college. Because one of the problems right now that I see is we all think, I'm trying to connect this kid to this place. Which place is right for this kid? Um, and we ask demographic questions. Do you want a big school or a small school, a city school or a country school? Do you want this amenity or that amenity? And that stuff just doesn't matter. That's where we've gotten to this place of it's a flip of a coin as to whether you're guessing right or guessing wrong. But if we get to I want to connect people to people and people that have similar passions and interests and values, priorities that I have, have found success here that I'm more likely to find that same success. I'm more likely to create community and to put the guardrails around me that as I start to reach those challenges in those classes, right, and in that social environment and in my financial life and in my you know dating life, whatever it is, all that stuff that happens in those turbulent 20s, that if I'm in my place with my people, I'm connected to that community, I've got a better shot of getting out the other end successfully. And so it's about connecting people to people, not people to place. I, man, I, I like that. Um, you know, a big push of when I go into schools is uh, looking at social validity, right? How do people feel about things? Uh, that's an important data point. And in schools, is this drives me friggin' nuts. They have like a climate survey at the end of the year. I'm like, what the hell are you going to do with a climate survey at the end of the year? Yeah. It's an autopsy of what happened, right? Right. We need right. to, we, it's, if, if you say that and people say relationships are important and involving stakeholders, well, if that's really important to you, then you need to check in with them on a regular basis and find out and use that data to help things grow, right? So I don't even know at the university if they're using social validity data. I know that, you know, a lot of like, programs like the the students say how they felt feel about the professors but i don't think they're doing anything with that data most of the time you know and i don't know how often what they're doing about maybe they're doing something internally with it um but i like it what you're what you're suggesting that making it transparent um because i can imagine having that kind of data transparent could shape 
some things that are going on at the university. If people are saying like, hey, yeah, it's a great school, but the culture sucks. You know, right. and people, I don't want to be part of that culture. And then like, we need to change our culture. What's going on? You know, and then you yeah. start to find out from the stakeholders. Well, my, my professor is treating me like a dick. You know what I mean? Or like yeah. not responding yeah. and not giving feedback. And again, not u- to use it as a punishment, but at least they get a baseline and they can start to shape up what's going on within their own university. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, for that reason, as we go to schools, we tend to talk to a broad range of people within a school. Um, I've gone to conferences that are exclusively for college presidents um, because when you talk to a president, you say, look, you have the ability to drive your enrollment rate and your graduation rate hand in hand. They get that right. You go to an enrollment person, not everyone, but a lot of enrollment people. And if if you swear that you won't repeat this, they'll tell you, I don't really care about graduation rates. Of course, I care. It's important. Blah, blah. But the reality is I'm not I'm not going to get hired or fired because of my school's graduation rate. My job is to deliver them on day one with a net amount of tuition of X dollars. And that's how I'm incentivized, hired and fired. And I get that. It's not their fault for being responsive to that. And so finding the people within the school that see the broader picture or see finding the the individuals and in any location, any job who say, you know what, we got to take sort of pick our head up and take the self-interest out of it and the career motivations out of it and say, how do we help these kids get out of here with a degree and with an education and with the growth that comes from that process? It's so much more important than issuing acceptance letters. How how I, I love that. I, and I, I like what you said. It's not about getting them in. It's about getting them out. That's so beautifully said. Um, how long do you think that before that data would be available where it was transparent, where we start to see some of the, uh, you know, what's out there in terms of, you know, how students are feeling about the universities? Yeah, you know, it, it grows quickly. It's interesting. One of the one of the things that we, that so many schools say to us is. We don't really know exactly what makes us different. Like we don't know our culture and our success factors mm-hmm. as well as maybe we should. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of really big consulting firms out there that will come in and say, for half a million dollars, I'll tell you the answer to that question. I'm coming in saying for $10,000, I'm going to give you all of this. Right. And the first thing that we did was we administered that quiz in a statistically valid sample size to their existing community. And then we can show them here are the things about your academic culture and social culture, which are unique to you, right? Here's the pattern of your school. And do you like that? Do you not like that? Where do you want to go? Is that in line with what you thought it should be? And if so, or if not, what exactly do you want to do? And the value we provide is to say, if you're not where you want to be, who are the types of students that you want to bring in in order to get there? Right. Who are the ones who are going to respond to that kind of, you know, closer to knit community to their professors and more engagement or conversely, who are interested in more of a kind of a, a, a you know, lecture hall kind of environment? Or you can you can manage your admissions by saying strategically, where are we going as, as an institution? But that has to start with where are we now? Right. Well, right. I, yeah, it's like a baseline of it. And it's not it's yeah. not necessarily also selecting the right students. It might be to your point. Right now, this data is telling us that this is not aligned with our mission or our values. And uh, that means as a campus, as a university president or or, you know, wh- whoever is looking at this data, how what do we need to do to adjust our culture, to adjust our approach, to adjust our instruction 
to make sure that we are behaving in alignment with our mission and our values. And therefore, we're attracting the students who are also aligned with that mission and values. And and I love that because if you don't have data to reflect on yourself, um, then how do you know? And and I don't think, you know, again, I've taught at a number of universities. uh, Perhaps they're soliciting this data from their students. I don't really know. Um, but I tell you what, if it becomes transparent, it all of a sudden is going to take on a whole new life uh, for universities. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, to, to make sure I, I actually answer the question you asked me about kind of where are we with our data collection and what we've proven, you know, it we are help. We are right now in the phase of gathering more admissions oriented data. So, you know, are you finding new processes? applying it at different rates? Are you enrolling them and admitting them at different rates? Um, we are working towards it. And part of our agreement with schools is they they agree to track and report back to us, not at the PII level, not with the kid's name associated, but just, hey, we brought in X number of students through your system and they have actually stayed with us to become sophomores and then to become juniors at a different rate or rate X versus our what our norm is. And so it actually gets them focused on those metrics as well. And as they report them back to us over the course of years, then we're able to really um, get to that place, like I said, where if you imagine if we're right, imagine if we found the secret sauce that says I can look at a pool of millions of kids and really quickly spot the ones who are most likely to love going to school here and who are going to just get turned on by this place. If that's the case, then we've totally transformed the model. Right, then, How is this? Is, is the data arranged also by I mean, I'm assuming it's going to be arranged by also demographics. Uh, so he's fine. You know, this population of students who come because you mentioned, you know, low income, um, underrepresented minorities. You say like th- these underrepresented minorities feel really good attending these schools. Is it going to be sorted that way? Yeah. Yeah. And it, well, it's we, we we definitely we collect that data where the students are willing to offer it. Um, mm-hmm. And so we will we absolutely go back and look sort of in the reverse. Right. Is now we do it the opposite. Schools will say or ask students, do you want that big school or a small school? What we want to do is flip that around and say, students have come and been successful and they have a profile that looks like this. We happen to be a school of this size. And so we can find those correlations, but they're not necessarily directly predictive of their success, but they are an indicator that that's more of a school that would be a better fit for you because it's important to, to recognize that these kids are in a very sort of young, impressionable stage, and they don't necessarily know exactly what they want, what they're looking for. They can't articulate it. I've interviewed students who go to 100-person high schools in rural North Dakota and 8,000-student high schools in Brooklyn, right? And when you ask those two kids, do you want a big school or a small school or a city school or a country school, I guarantee you that the kid in far, you know, in, in rural North Dakota is thinking I could go to North Dakota State University with 5000 students in North in Fargo. And that's the big school in the big city. And that kid in Brooklyn is not thinking that Fargo is the big city. So the current system is ridiculous, right? It just doesn't work. You can't peanut butter spread that across every kid in America. But if you flip it around and say those two kids could actually love the same kind of learning and social environment and get turned on by these kind of the dialogue and the interaction with professors and all that same stuff and could do really well in the same school. And it just so happens that schools is size X and demographic Y. We're, we're doing it in reverse and it's not working today. 
Um, can you give me an example of uh, the type of questions, uh, I don't know, one or two questions that you might ask a, a student that would illustrate, um, you know, what kind of data you're looking at? Yeah, you know, the we, we break the questions into kind of three groups. One is a little bit of demographics, kind of where do you live, who are you, that kind of stuff, right, so we can track it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get into questions that are grouped around social culture preferences uh, and learning culture preferences. So learning culture preference um, and we, we, we're sort of intentional about that phrase, learning culture preference, because right now schools tend to judge on academic uh, aptitude. You know, what's your GPA? What's your test score? What did your transcript look like? How did you do in this class mm-hmm. as a as this sort of placeholder for, the, oh, this is this kind of student. This is it's success. Not, this is a measure yeah. of success here. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's relevant. Right. But it's not it's the whole important story. data point. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. How was their experience so, there? Are they traumatized afterwards? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah. So so what we ask questions that are sort of wrapped around that that say, hey, do you like to study in groups or study on your own? When you form a group, do you just go with your friends or do you go with a diversity of kids or, you know, the smartest kids in the class? How do you form that group? When you run into a problem, do you go see the teacher? Do you solve the problem on your own? Do you go to the Internet? Um, we're trying to find those patterns of behavior that say, you know, I'm all about an engaged environment where I love to. Uh, it's really important to me to interact with my professors. This is meant to be a data driven platform where more data is better and we're going to learn and grow and, and adjust as, as we go. And so, for example, we have a school right now that's, that really specializes in helping kids with learning disabilities. And they've asked us whether or not our quiz asks questions about whether students have some of those challenges. And my answer is it doesn't right now, but I think it's a fascinating idea. We can add it in um, and make ourselves available and useful tool. And if you don't want to give us that information, then don't. That's okay. But for students who say, yeah, you know, I've, I've been struggling with dyslexia or I've got this issue um, and, and that's that's part of who I am. Like, I think we live in a world where that's okay these days, right? Mm-hmm. And we want those people to find their place. So mm-hmm. that's the, we have this sort of fluid tool. We're growing, we're learning. Um, and, and it, you know, it's an exciting time because we're just out there meeting lots of schools that say, we can't keep doing it the old way because that is swirling the drain. And we've I, got to try new stuff. Man, I love the idea of it. If we can, you know, certainly match the university with with the student it could be like a miracle almost. So many yeah. students have gone away to college and never went back. I've seen students go away to college, come back and have been traumatized. And I don't know what happened to them. And I'm not, this is no diss on college. It could have been they had their own mental health issues going in. Um, but it makes you wonder, you know, what, how they might have performed in another culture. Maybe to your, right. you right. know, to, to your suggestion that if it was more supportive. So I don't know, man, this is very exciting. I would love for you to come back on maybe next year. Uh, And with an update with this kind of thing, um, how can people get in touch with you or find out more about Truve? Uh, Because this is this is exciting. This has great potential, I think. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. uh, The simple answer is go to Truve.me, T-R-O-O-V-E dot me. um, And you just click on any one of the buttons we got on there that say find my fit. Um, And you quick click on that and you take a 10 minute quiz and that gives you a whole list of schools. You know, that we've intended to create this, this, what we hope to be the verb in the category, right? Do you want to, you know, is, is school X a good fit for me? I don't know. Just prove it, right? So once you take that quiz once as a student, then you can go back in anytime you want to and just type in the name of a school, you know, University of Kentucky, boom, it pops up and you can see whether you're an academic and or social fit for the University of Kentucky. And here's why here you answered this and they offer that they do this, they don't do that. 
So as you go through this process as a sophomore, as a junior, as a senior, just prove it. Just pop on there, type in your school. If you want to change your answers and update them and say, you know, I've grown and changed, you can do that. There's flexibility. Um, and it's meant to be that guide and that support to that kid who doesn't have the $5,000 private counselor um, and, and needs that support. And we keep adding features and stuff along the way. But love to come back and, and keep sharing results and telling you that we're helping to find that um, that magic uh, Willy Wonka golden ticket that says we can find the place where you're going to be successful. Well, you, this is important work, man. I'm so thankful that there's people out you uh, out there in the world like you doing this kind of thing. So thanks uh, so much for coming on, brother. I really do appreciate it, and I hope people take a look at this. I'm going to tell my own son about it. He's at a university right now, University of Florida. He seems pretty happy, but hey, go! I like it. You turn into a verb, you know. Go prove it. You yeah, know, exactly. Take ten minutes. That's easy. Everybody should do this. Why not give it a shot to see what's going on out there, and uh, you know, to see where it takes you. So, uh, David, thanks a lot for coming on again, and uh, we'll chat again soon. Thanks, Polly. Take care. Traditionally, many crisis management systems have taken a what's wrong with you approach that begins as a person escalates when addressing behavioral issues. PCM, as a trauma-informed approach rooted in applied behavior analysis, shifts this perspective from what's wrong with you to what happened to you by having a complete picture of a person's situation in life, past and present. This approach is fundamental to applied behavior analysis and therefore PCM as it seeks to determine the root causes of behavior based on both the current environment and the individual's history as a means of individualizing education, treatment, and support. For more about PCM, check out crisisintervention.com.